Chapter 5, October 1969, age 14. Leaves crunched under Robert's feet as the cold northern winds hurried him into the welcoming warmth of Thomas Edison High School. Just inside the glass doors, amid the hustle and bustle of students rushing around at the beginning of another school day and the noise of the warning bell drowning out an intercom message, he saw Louis Cafora leaning against the wall, hands in the pockets of a green and white New York Jets jacket. Louis was a funny guy with a goofy sort of nature. He was a year older than Robert and was somewhat on the heavy side with curly hair. At that time, he was Robert's only friend from school. The area around Fulton and Rockaway had been changing, and a gradual influx of Puerto Ricans had overtaken the once predominantly Italian neighborhood. By the end of the summer of 1969, almost all of Robert's classmates from Lady of Lourdes Catholic School had moved away. Angelo and his family were still around, but he had to repeat 8th grade due to failing grades. Robert, on the other hand, advanced to ninth grade, not because of good grades, but because Principal Aquinas wouldn't subject his faculty and staff to another year of Robert's unruly behavior. Louis befriended Robert the very first day of high school. They already knew each other casually from the neighborhood, but nothing more than that. But Robert's reputation as a wild, tough kid preceded him, and Louis was very impressed with some of his antics, especially the episode with Sister Anne about a year earlier. Robert walked over to him, rubbing his hands. He looked down to the floor and saw a large brown paper bag. Where are you going today? Louis looked around and then grinned like a kid who just received every gift on his Christmas wish list. Match game. Up to that point, nine years before his alleged involvement in the Lufthansa heist, the largest cash robbery in American history, Louis's reputation was built on a quirky passion, being a part of studio audiences for TV shows. He often skipped school to make the trip to Manhattan by train. Robert knew this was his plan because Louis always carried the large paper bag, usually filled with several sandwiches, a bag of Lay's potato chips, moon pies, and soda on the days he went. Are you coming? Robert shook his head. I can't today. Why not? I got a thing, Robert said, nudging the bag with his foot. It didn't move. You got a thing? What thing? Robert shuffled his feet. I told Mr. Gordon I'd help him with a newspaper. What? You mean the school newspaper? Well, yeah, we're running a piece on the Miracle Mets with pictures and all. Louis shook his head. Man, that's lame. Louis, it's the Mets. They just won the World Series, man. It's kind of special, you know. So you're telling me you'd rather go to class than a game show? You gotta be crazy. Robert had gone with Louis several times to Manhattan and knew it was a lot better than trying to stay awake in his classes. He wasn't long into his first year of high school, but it proved to be even harder than the past eight grades, especially since he didn't retain much of what he was taught. Listening to his teacher's droning lectures over mathematical terms or grammar rules amounted to nothing by the time he tried to apply it. He was the type of kid who had to put his hands on it, feel it, experience it, before he was able to understand. Out of all school had to offer, the printing press was the only thing that allowed Robert to learn in such a fashion. It was meticulous work, gathering all the letters, placing them on the platen in the correct sequence and such. Besides, printing was apparently in the blood, since his father worked at a print shop, and it was something that Robert was actually good at that didn't get him into trouble. As he contemplated the possibility, he noticed a poster next to Louis. It was a picture of a man in a puffy white suit and helmet. It reminded Robert of the Michelin Man. He was standing in a gray, desolate terrain. There was a caption at the bottom, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Who's that? He said, tipping his head toward the poster. Louis looked at it. Neil Armstrong, you know, the guy that walked on the moon. 
Robert furrowed his brow. Somebody walked on the moon? Louis gasped. Are you kidding me? He did it just this past summer. Where were you? Robert shrugged his shoulders. Not on the moon. He turned and started toward the hallway where his locker was. So what's it going to be? You going to make me go by myself? Louis yelled. Robert kept walking as he gave Louis a nonchalant wave. Maybe another time. The newspaper meant more to Robert than what might be expected from a street hoodlum. Throughout his entire life, he had always taken pleasure in destruction, whether it be breaking windows in an abandoned warehouse or beating a car with a bat just because it was parked in the middle of their punch ball field. At home, he was never asked by his father to work on the car or help with repairs around the house. He was never expected to clean the bedroom he shared with Frankie and Richard. His only duty was to stay out of the way until supper time. Now he was experiencing what it was like to do something constructive and felt proud, and he happened to like the attention that came with it. It also made better sense than doing something that got him into trouble. Print shop was during second period. His first class was geometry, which was on the second floor. Elbowing his way through the crowd, which prompted a couple of dirty looks, he made it to the stairwell. He bounded all the way to the landing, taking two steps at a time. It wasn't that he was in a hurry to get to class. It was just Robert's nature to move quickly wherever he was. At the landing, he ran into a kid nicknamed Grubber, so-called, because he had a reputation for eating not only his food, but would also mooch off of others. Grubber stood in front of Robert, with his hands on his hips, fire in his eyes. You, Robert? Robert noticed others taking the stairs had slowed down and were now watching the two of them. He turned back to Grubber. Yeah, what of it? Grubber? Robert scoffed. You told Tony I ate out of the trash can? Making fun of how Grubber ate everyone else's food was an ongoing joke among the ninth grade boys. There was Grubber ate the Brussels sprouts of everyone at our table, or hey, let's get Grubber to eat it, he eats everything, and I heard Grubber ate his little brother before he came to school this morning. Robert was always looking for an opportunity to be the funny guy, so the day before, he made the comment to the people at his table as Grubber was handing his tray to the lunch lady, finishing the last couple of bites of his pizza. Hey, I just saw Grubber grab that pizza out of the trash can. Everyone turned around and looked at Grubber in astonishment, gasping and gagging. Grubber saw them, but had no idea what Robert had said about him. Robert smirked as he looked around. Yeah, what of it? Get out of my way, you slob. He started to go around Grubber, but Grubber stepped in front of him. You take it back. You take it back. What, are we on the kindergarten playground or something? Several of the onlookers laughed. Grubber, who, like most of the other, other teenage boys, was taller and heavier than Robert, dug his heels in even deeper. Take it back. Tell everybody that I didn't eat the pizza out of the trash can, that you lied. Robert smirked. Get out of my way, you big sissy. Robert tried to walk past Grubber, but Grubber pushed him into the wall. All the excitement about printing the newspaper, all the pleasure he got from the positive attention, was swept away as his anger flared and his street-honed instincts kicked in. He crouched, keeping wild eyes on Grubber as he reached into his back pocket, pulled out a strap razor and flipped it open. The crowd stepped back. Robert saw Grubber's eyes widen, but the determination to avenge his dignity didn't lessen. Robert swiped the razor through the air, hoping the threat of a weapon would make Grubber back off. But the swipe was perfectly timed with Grubber's lunge, and the razor sliced Grubber across the bridge of his nose. A girl in the crowd screamed as Grubber stumbled backwards, holding his face with both hands, blood trickling through the cracks of his fingers. 
Robert stood there for a second, his adrenaline-flooded heart pounding in his throat, ready to cut again if he had to. But Grubber didn't retaliate. He sat down on the first step of the landing and applied pressure to his nose as the blood continued to drip onto his pants. The girl that screamed knelt down to help Grubber. She yelled, Somebody get Principal Anderson. I need a towel. She looked up at Robert with fiery eyes without saying a word. Robert slowly folded the strap razor, noticing the thin line of blood along its edge. He put it in his back pocket and then took off running in the direction from which he had just come. About a hundred yards from the school, he surprised Louie. Decided to come along, huh? Robert struggled to regain his breath, blasting out clouds of steam every second. Yeah, change of plans. The next day, Robert was unsure where he stood in regard to the incident with Grubber, but he wasn't about to show that he was a coward by not showing up at school. After all, Grubber had started the fight by pushing him. What was he supposed to do? Just stand there and let the kid disrespect him in front of the whole school? His reputation was all he had, and if it meant he had to slice somebody to protect it, then that's exactly what he was going to do. As soon as he entered the school building, he saw two cops patrolling the lobby, noting each student as they walked by. Robert put his hand up to his face and turned to leave. Just as he was halfway to the street, he felt a firm grip on his arm. He turned and was ready to pop someone in the mouth. Hey, easy kid. It was the same cop who busted him for making Molotov cocktails. The police officer grinned. I remember you, the gasoline bomber. For some reason, I knew we'd see each other again. Get in the car. What? Get in the car. We're taking you to the precinct. Reluctantly, Robert moved toward the patrol car. Robert was sitting on a bench just inside the front entrance when his mother showed up, bundled up in her full-length gray wool coat and a red scarf. She barely glanced at Robert as she went to the front desk and spoke quietly to the sergeant on duty. After about five minutes of conversation and several head gestures toward Robert by the sergeant, his mother turned and headed toward the door. Robert, come, she said, as if commanding a dog. Robert looked up to the sergeant. He tipped his head, acknowledging it was okay to leave. During the walk to the train station and the subsequent ride, his mother was quiet, although visibly upset. The clopping of her heels echoed against the brick walls lining Fulton Street as she kept a brisk pace, her coat drawn tight, Robert a couple of steps behind her. Inside the apartment building, she fumbled with the key before she steadied herself enough to unlock the door. She took off her scarf and coat, and instead of hanging them up like she usually did, she threw them across the back of the couch. Robert stood and watched, agonized that she wouldn't say anything to him, contemplating whether or not he should break the silence. After a few minutes of dangling her fingers over the radiator, she started to cry, covering her mouth and nose with a semi-warmed hand. Robert couldn't stand it anymore. Ma, I'm... Don't say anything, she said, pointing a trembling finger at him. Don't say anything. At supper, silence still dominated the atmosphere, but Robert could tell that his mother had not told his father about the incident at school, nor that she had to retrieve him from the police station. Otherwise, Robert would be out looking for a place to stay the night instead of seated at the table eating his pasta. After his father went to bed, Robert's mother called him into the kitchen. They decided not to file charges against you, she said as she rinsed a bowl in the sink. Robert nodded. Okay. His mother glanced at him. They're transferring you instead. 
transfer to where? East New York. East New York? His mother put her finger to her mouth. Keep it down. I don't want your father to know. It's already hard enough around here as it is. But, Ma, that's an all-black school. The guys that go there, I've fought a lot of them. I'll get killed there. She swatted him with a hand towel. I said, keep it down. Robert was pacing the kitchen like a caged lion, biting a fingernail and shaking his head. I'm a dead man. Well, maybe you should have thought of that before you decided to use a knife on that kid. Robert wasn't about to correct her regarding the weapon. I'm just not going to go. Yes, you are. You've got to. The police said if you don't, then you'll be arrested for assault. And this time you won't get away with it like you, like you did last time. Robert threw his hands up. Then you might as well start digging a grave because that's where I'll end up. You don't got a choice. Robert shook his head and then slammed his hand into the countertop next to the sink. He marched out of the kitchen, grabbed his coat from the hall tree, and went outside. As he headed down Fulton Street, he lit up a cigarette and let it hang from his lips while he tucked his hands inside his jacket pocket. He was angry. He was angry because almost all his friends were gone and left him there to fend for himself. He was angry because for once in his life, he found something legitimate to do that he liked and he blew his chance. He was angry because it seemed like everywhere he turned, trouble found him. He turned south and charged down Eastern Parkway for a couple of blocks, his warm breath forming clouds over his head like a steam engine as it hit the cold night air. He slowed his pace as he came to the intersection of Atlantic Avenue and Eastern Parkway. The building on the corner housed the Italian-American Social Club, a place where he worked in the summer when he was 12 years old. Alberto Davaccio, the neighborhood businessman who had befriended Robert since he was a little boy, owned the club. He also owned the candy store next door, which doubled as a front for his black market business ventures of stolen cigarettes and Italian knits and anything else that had the prospect of making Davaccio money. Robert enjoyed working at Davaccio's club, where he stayed busy serving food and drinks to Davaccio's pals who came to play cards and chew the fat. He also ran errands for just about everything, from cigarettes or cigars to aspirin and peptobismol, anything the club didn't offer he would get, except for alcohol, which was strictly forbidden in the club. There was lots of loud laughter, and the men always tipped Robert generously. As he stood in front of the blacked-out storefront window, he could hear explosions of muffled laughter over the noisy traffic passing by on Eastern Parkway. Robert spun around as he heard the blast of a horn fit more for a locomotive than a car. It was Davaccio pulling his white 1969 Cadillac Eldorado into a parking space just behind him. Little Robert, he said, as he got out of the car carrying a brown grocery bag. Robert jogged over to him and took the bag from him. He smelled the distinctive aromas of an Italian deli. Davaccio patted him on the head. Always a hard worker, ain't that right? For the first time since his print shop teacher asked him to help with the newspaper, Robert felt the warmth of acceptance. Davaccio went to the door of the club, which was covered in green curls of peeling paint. He opened the door for Robert, who walked in with a bag cradled in his arms. What are you doing out this late at night? Don't you got school in the morning? He asked Robert. Robert shook his head as he looked to the left side of the room. There he saw several of Davaccio's buddies at the table, concentrating on the cards fanned out in front of each of them. Robert recognized one of them, Anthony Trentacosta, known in the neighborhood as Tony Pep. Look who I found camped outside the door, Davaccio announced. Hey, it's little Robert, Tony Pep said. How's it going, kid? It's all right, he looked at Davaccio. 
Where do you want me to put this? Just put it on the table. Robert did. Davaccio opened the bag and served his buddies. Meatball sub. He handed it to a man Robert didn't recognize and pulled another sandwich from the bag. Who ordered ham and Swiss? That's me, Tony Pep raised his hand. Davaccio pointed to a man sitting quietly across the table whom Robert had never seen before. He was stocky with dark hair. Hey, Nicky, you know Robert? Nicky looked up from his cards. No. Robert, this is Nicky. Robert shook his hand. Are you the Robert that works for my kid brother, Blaze? Yeah, that's me. Nicky's expression was blank. Good. Davaccio rummaged through the sack. So, Nicky, what did you order? I got roast beef. After serving everybody, Davaccio waved Robert to the back where they entered a small kitchen. Davaccio folded the brown bag and put it in a cabinet with a dozen or so others. He leaned against the countertop. So, tell me, Robert, you get kicked out again? Robert dropped his eyes to the ground. Yeah. Hey. Davaccio grabbed Robert by the chin and forced his head up. He had an expression of anger, but the fire wasn't in it. Don't be looking down like some whipped dog. You got nothing to be ashamed of. But I got into another fight. And? I kid a kid with a razor. At first, Davaccio stared at Robert, but eventually a smile stretched across his face. Within seconds, he was laughing so hard the countertop bounced under his weight. He shook his head, wiping away a tear on a paper towel torn from a roll behind him. I knew I was right about you. What do you mean? Davaccio grabbed Robert by both shoulders. Kid, you've got what it takes. He patted Robert on the cheek. His face was so cold, Robert thought his smile would crack it. Davaccio had always made Robert feel good about himself. When everyone else was upset at his antics, Davaccio celebrated them. When everyone else had no hope for him, Davaccio painted a bright future. It was becoming very clear to Robert that the family that cared for him the most was not the one connected to him by flesh and blood, but the one connected by a whole different set of rules, one in which members looked out for each other and didn't judge a person for the bad things, but embraced them as a part of a person's character. Robert, how old are you now? Almost 15. Good. In another year or so, you'll be old enough to make your own decisions. So take my advice. Do whatever it takes to get by and get along. And whenever you turn 16, you'll be a free man to do whatever you want. And I'll be sure to help you out with that. You hear me? Yeah, sure. Now, how'd you like to earn a couple of dollars tonight? Okay. Davaccio pointed to the other room as he handed Robert a $20 bill. Serve these bums in there. Treat them like family. Davaccio took Robert's chin in his hand and forced him to look eye to eye. Because that's what we are, little Robert. We're your family.